0: We are launching a brand new sermon series, we're calling it metamorphosis, and in case you're not familiar with the definition, plain old English definition, here it is, a marked change in appearance, character, condition, a function, a radical transformation, a profound change in form from one stage to the next. In the life history of an organism. And essentially what we're going to be talking about for the next four or five weeks is going to be on Christian growth. How do you grow as a Christian? How do you change? How do you experience transformation as a Christian? There's a yearning within each and every one of us to do that. Now, let me clear up some misconceptions right up front here on how you grow, how you experience transformation and change as a Christian that's very prevalent in the church. First one is that you grow, you experience transformation and change just because you know the Bible. Let me just put it this way. Some of the people who know the Bible the most are some of the least loving, least Jesus-like most judgmental and critical people I know. Anybody relate? Yeah. Just because you, you're filling your mind with Bible knowledge and hearing sermons and going to conferences and so on and so forth has very little to do with whether you're going to experience choose life's transformation or change. Matter of fact, I think Paul was right when he said knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Just because you're learning a lot about the Bible and so on and so forth You know, oftentimes what that leads to is a sense of pride and arrogance because you think you know a lot about the Bible, and so you become judgmental and critical because you look around at people who don't know a lot about the Bible, and so you judge them and you criticize them, which then leads to it's hard to love people when you're critical and judgmental of them. And that's why some of the most Bible-saturated people I knew growing up were some of the most miserable, holier-than-thou, critical, judgmental people that I want to have nothing to do with. Anybody relate? Just because you know a lot about the Bible and information doesn't mean you're going to grow and change and be transformed. Secondly, here's another big misconception. I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody. I don't need community. I don't need small groups, whatever. I can do this on my own. To which I say, then you've got to be reading your own version of the Bible. Because the version of the Bible that I read talks about how important and critical community is. matter of fact, you cannot grow, transform, and be changed as a Christian without community. You know how we like to say it in our church? Community messed you up, and community is what will heal you, okay? Community messed you up, community is what will heal you. In other words, you're not a product of your individual choices and decisions you made. You think you are, but you're not. Who you are today is a direct result of your family, your parents, your friends, your marriage perhaps even, and other relationships. We're fooling ourselves if we think that who we are today is a product of, let me give you an example. There's some of us here today who've developed this mentality, I don't need anybody, including the Christian life. I can do this on my own. You realize how profoundly you've been shaped by community. Do you know why you are like that? Some of us are like that because the community that we look to, the community we depend on, the community that we need and long for, our parents abandoned us. Our parents didn't come through. The church community that we relied on, that friend, that relationship, so you've even profoundly impacted by community by saying, I don't need community. And if your perspective this morning is, Peter... I've got my small group. There's four of us. You got me, you got God the Father, got the Son, you got God the Holy Spirit. And it's closed. We don't invite it anymore. You are fooling yourself. You cannot experience life-changing transformation outside of community. Community messed you up. Community is what will heal you. So if I'm talking to any lone ranger Christian types, like, pfft, whatever, just give me the Bible, let me go at it, let me... Most likely you've hit a wall in your Christian life. But there's a third misconception about the Christian life that I'd like to talk about today. And we'll be talking about this three, four weeks as a larger, broader concept. You ready? It goes something like this. That somehow the way I begin my Christian life is different from the way I grow in my Christian life. That is different. Here's what I mean. We think... In our minds, the way I begin my Christian life, God, I can't do this on my own. I am lost, I am hopeless, I am in sin. There's nothing that I can do. I need you to save me from the penalty of sin. And so God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, does. You know what we do? We click right out of them and tell them. We go, all right now, give me the Bible. Come on, Christian things. I Let me go at it. When the Bible says that the way that you begin your Christian life is the same way that you grow in your Christian life we're going to talk about this more as we talk about the role of the Holy Spirit like four or five weeks from now, okay? That the reality is the way we began the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. We can't do I can't do this, God. I am lost. Holy Spirit comes. He convicts our hearts of sin. He allows us to have faith in the work of Christ, and, and we are received into his kingdom and relationship. That same Holy Spirit that brought you into this thing is the same Holy Spirit that says, you can't do this from this point on without me. And many of us, the reason why we're stuck, we've hit a wall, we're miserable, frustrated, I don't want to, you've been trying to do this on your own for weeks, for months, for years. You know, what's going on? What's going on is the way you begin the Christian life is the same way you grow in your Christian life. Same thing. And this is going to become more clear as we talk about Today, what we'll talk about today, next week, and, and two weeks after that, this whole overarching principle, the way you grow in the Christian life, is the same way you began it. I can't do this on my own. God. Same way, what we're going to talk about today and next week. Open your Bibles with me. Let me show you. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is sort of going to be a, 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 a pointer passage for the next uh, two, three, four weeks. Can you tell I'm not really prepared for this sermon series? It's kind of like, oh, like three, maybe four, maybe five. I actually am prepared. I just don't know how long things are going to go, you know. I tend to be long-winded, so I talk a lot, you know. So we'll see how long this goes today and next week. But I do know that this is a two-part, series, two-part sermon for this, this particular sermon. Mark chapter 1, verse 14, 15. Look, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee performing the good news of God. Pay attention now. Ready? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near, so repent and believe the good news. Everybody, can you look up here? Question. Jesus comes and says, here's how you become a Christian. Here's how you enter the kingdom of God. Here's how you embrace and receive the rule and reign of God in your life, redemption, restoration. How do you do it? Jesus says, you need to repent and believe the good news. been paying attention this morning. How then do you grow in the Christian life? You repent and believe the good news. Now don't look at me like, what the heck are you talking about, okay? Because because this is so profound and yet it's so simple. Listen, listen, listen. The way you begin the Christian life is repent. And I'll talk more about that because I of the heart of this week and next week. Repent and, and, and becoming a Christian is and believing the good news of the gospel. And by the way, the good news of the gospel has very little to do with Jesus Christ died for me, and so he's forgiven me of my sins, and so I can be saved and go to heaven, small tiny part. The gospel, believing the gospel is way bigger than that. The, the way you begin the Christian life, repenting and believing in the good news of the gospel. The way you start it and the way you grow in it, same thing. What do I mean? When you begin your Christian life, you begin it by repenting. And and we don't like the word repentance. We don't like that word. You don't like that word. I don't like that word, especially if you grew up in church. Because you hear the word repent and you you imagine this big, red-faced, big pastor guy up front going repent you sinners repent you sinners he go to hell you know the, we hear repentance we hear repentance and immediately we think of legalism angry guy up front judgment and like ah. Oh. we also think repentance in terms of some eternity and ramifications on you do you know what the bible says repentance is here it is ready repentance is not i feel bad god i feel sorry i, I feel so bad for this i'm sorry that's not repentance. Repentance also isn't, I'm going this way, Jesus Christ confronts me, I stop, I turn around, and I go the other way. <laughs> I mean, how many times have you heard that, right? It's like, it's like you know, I, I've been at this, uh, like, repent, stop whatever you're doing, and go the other way. To which I'm going, I can't. That's why I'm here. I try. I'm doing everything I can to stop what I'm doing, but I can't. It may last a little bit. Anybody? And then we do the same thing. Repent. Stop. I'm stopped. Go the other way. I go the other way. But I'm going to be back like three months from now. So it's like, it doesn't work. Why? Why, why, why? Why doesn't it work? Here's it. Ready? Repent. You know what repentance is? God says, there's something underneath that is driving you to act the way you do, feel the way you feel, say what you say. And repentance is courage to say, what is that thing? What is that? And I'm building my foundation, my life, my identity, my security, the thing that says I'm worthy, the thing that says that I'm a good person. What is that? And repentance is looking at it, squarely in the face, and taking that thing out, uprooting it, and building your entire life on another foundation. That's what repentance is. That's what repentance is. Now, That gets to the heart of what we're talking about today and next week. Here's what I mean by that. It's repentance of idols. Again, we don't like that word idols. Idolatry. (laughs) Again, right, big red face guy. You know what idolatry simply is? I'm going to be fleshing this out today. Idolatry is whatever you have built your identity on, your foundation on, your security on, Idolatry or idol is that thing that you say you look to every day to go, I'm okay because of this. My life is meaning because of this. And here's the powerful truth. You guys ready? Do you realize that when we start the Christian life, we repent of our idols, and in our minds, we're like, I'm done with that. You know what idols do? They follow you. Your idol. That was your identity, security, pre-Christian, pre-Jesus life. They follow you. And guess what? Hello, they're right there with you. Hello. They're right there with you in your life. Matter of fact, let me put it this way. The reason why you feel the way you feel today, the reason why you're discouraged, the reason why you're depressed, the the reason why you're exhilarated, the reason why you feel, act the way you do today has something to do with the real idol or the God of your life. And realize when we become a Christian... Idols don't go, we will see you. Bye, bye, bye. Christian guy, good, good. Christian girl, great. Idols go, huh. Not only am I going to wreak havoc in your life now because now your allegiance is something else. I'm going to do everything I can to tear you down. All your troubles, all your sorrows, all your successes and victories, things that, give you that sense of, ha, idols. And unless you and I are continually second moment every day, saying, what is it that I am tempted to go and say, that's it, that's my God, that's my idol, that's my foundation, that's my security, that's what makes me feel like I'm somebody. Unless we are continually uprooting our idols, you will never you'll never experience transformation. You'll never experience victory. The source, the source, the source of why we're at today, idols. The passage that we're going to look at today, and we're going to look at a little more this week and next week, gives us clues as to how powerfully impacting this is. And can I just, up front, um, some of you, many of you will walk out here today Feeling like I just ripped your heart open. And you're going to go, I hate you. That's okay. That's okay. No, I'm okay. What I want you to do is I want you to sit on this for an entire week. Because next week I'm going to talk about what do we do. What do we do about this? Okay. Open your Bibles. We're going to look at two passages real quick. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is where we find what's known as the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. And then we're going to look at the New Testament version of what we're going to look at today in Romans chapter 1. Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. Let's look at what God had to say to his people, the Israelites, in Exodus chapter 20 about idols and idolatry. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse four, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You guys ready for a huge eye-opening insight for some of us? Here it is, you ready? You know what God clearly teaches in the Old Testament and the New in the Bible? Here it is. You will either worship God Or you will worship some other gods. There is no third option. You will either worship God or you will worship some other idols or gods. There is no alternative. God says, he assumes that whoever is hearing this is already worshiping something in their hearts and in their souls. That's why he says, make sure you worship me and not the thing that you are worshiping now. There is no alternative. There is no such thing as a non-worshipper in this room today. You are either worshiping God and giving him worship or worship, or you are worshiping some other idols or some other gods. There is no alternative. And then in Romans chapter 1, listen to what Apostle Paul says, which is essentially an exposition of this commandment. In Exodus, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, Paul expounds on this theme of idolatry. And we'll get, I'll we'll make some general observations today and we'll look at it more deeper next week. The wrath of God is being revealed, verse 18, from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been made clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Can everybody look up real quick? We'll talk more about this next week, but you know one of the sure telltale signs of the fact that God is not your God, you have some other God in your life. Paul says. It's a lack of thanksgiving and gratitude in your life and in my life. Here's the reason why. If God is indeed at the center of our lives, if God is the source of everything, anything in our lives, if God is the person without whom our life is nothing, then anything, that everything that we have, we immediately recognize his authorship, his creativity, his godness in it. I look at my son Parker, two years old, every day. And I go, I didn't do a whole lot, God. Look at that. That's amazing. Look at some. But you know that there are other parts and areas in my life, whether I am, where I am ungrateful, because I'm thinking, but I'm working so hard, but I'm I'm doing my thing, God. I'm being small. I'm utilizing. I, I I I I. And the Bible says a sure telltale sign that you have some other idol you or something else is lack of thanksgiving because you failed to recognize God and your dependence on him in your life. Their foolish hearts were darkened verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Let me read verse 25 again because we'll sort of park on this in a moment. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised and Paul again here makes in all and terms says there is no such thing as a non-worshipper there is something that you're looking to for significance there's something that you look to, to for identity there's something that you're basing your entire life your meaning on there's something in your life that is the non-negotiable there's something in your life you never question it there's something in your life that gives you value and worth there's something in your life that you look to to say nah I'm okay it's above everything it judges everything you may consider yourself an agnostic and atheist you may consider yourself not even a religious person do you know what the Bible says in Romans the Bible says that there are more relig- or there are as many religions in the world as there are people why? the human heart inevitably will give worth to something. The human heart will inevitably look to something to say, as long as I have that, as long as I can be that, as long as so-and-so loves, cares, gives me significance. All of us. There's something that our hearts will naturally adore. There's something that our hearts will naturally gravitate to. There's something that our hearts will look to to say, that gives me meaning. Christians, do you know why this is the first commandment? Idolatry is not one sin among many sins. Idolatry is the sin that causes all other sins. Idolatry is the problem underneath all the problems. Idolatry is the reason why we do anything we do outside of what God says. Give you an example. Look at the rest of the commands, commands 3 to 10. Don't lie, don't steal, don't covet, don't commit adultery. Do you know why? Our simple answer might be because we're sinful, we're weak, we're just people. The Bible says it's because you have fixed your heart and your soul on something other than Jesus to give you sense of importance, to sense of worth. You will not steal if God was your real treasure. You will not commit adultery if God was your real beauty. You will not lie. If there was something that was more important than God, whether it be approval, acceptance, promotion, sense of worth, saving our faith, there is something that is more important than God that we aspire to. That's why we lie. Idolatry is to sin underneath all sins. You know how powerful this is, you guys? For those of you that are sitting, and we're going to talk more about this, you're going, man... Is this even a practical sermon? There's nothing more practical. This gives you a soul insight into who you are, why you're the way you are today. Let me give an example. The two of you that are sitting in there today. And that friend, your friend, you guys, similar background, similar experiences. Neither of you has had a date in about a year and a half. And one of you, you know, it's disappointing. I mean, you don't like, you'd like to be dating, be in somebody, relationship. And, and then the other person, you are devastated. You're churning inside. You hate the opposite sex. Or the last one. There is an anger. There's a bitterness. There's almost an irrational. Why? Why? What's underneath all that? What's underneath all that? What is underneath all? Do you know how powerful the Bible is and how insightful this is? We're going to talk in a moment about the various idols. And by the way, the list was so long, I only cut it to like a third for today. Okay? So in the next two weeks, we're going to go ahead and talk about some of these other idols or idolatry. And by the way, I'm not just pulling these out of books. These are real life conversations that I'm having with people, okay, who are honest enough to, without even me knowing it, telling me what their idols are. So I thank you, all of you in advance, for doing that. How do we identify the idols in our lives? Bible's powerful. Verse 25, it says, we will worship and serve created things rather than the creator. The word worship in the New Testament literally has a number of meanings, but one of the sense in which we find here in Romans is to prostrate yourself. If you prostrate yourself, ugh, for those of you back there, you can't see it, but it's okay. If you are prostrating yourself, isn't this good? You guys front row, you guys get a good good view, okay? That's silly. I'm going to get up, okay? Uh, If you are prostrating yourself, you know what you're doing? You're putting your entire weight on that. In other words, when you worship, prostrate yourself, you are making yourself completely and totally vulnerable to whatever it is that you worship. And when you make yourself completely and totally vulnerable to whatever you worship, and that idol or that God doesn't come through for you, that idol or that God leaves you, that idol or that God doesn't keep its promises, that idol or that God doesn't come through for you, you're not just disappointed, you're devastated. You're angry. You're bitter. And you say things like, I don't think I can go on. You say things like, what's the use of living? You say things like, I don't know if I can worship, prostrate yourself, make yourself totally vulnerable. Another sense of idolatry has this sense of inspire awe, to inspire awe. What does it mean? Idolatry is a matter of the heart in the sense that it captures your imagination. It's a thing that you think about all the time. Now, here's, here's, a, here's a, a good, 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 uh, the word idolatry in the New Testament in Greek is very closely associated with another Greek word, epithui, epithumiae. Does anybody know what epithumiae means? Okay. Epithumiae literally means an inordinate desire. It's the word we use for lust in the English language. Idolatry, epithumia, inordinate desire, idol, very similar, very closely connected. What do I mean? The thing that is idle idol of your life, the thing that has captured your imagination in your heart will be that thing that you'll be irrational about, the thing that you'll be unreasonable about, the thing that you will, for whatever reason, be overly anxious, overly afraid, overly despondent. Here's another way to think about this whole idol of capturing your imagination. Imagine yourself waiting for a friend in a corner. You've got no iPod, you have no book, you have no magazines, you've got nothing to do, nothing to look at, nothing to listen to, nothing to do. Where does your mind, your thought, your daydream, without much effort, instinctively and naturally sort of go to? At the end of that, friends, the Bible says, lies your idol. You know what's really powerful, though? The powerful thing about this is a third word for worship, which is to serve. In other words, to obey. And here's, we're going to talk about this. Here's the thing that has you where you are today. And there's so many Christians who are there today. It's not just something that captures our imagination and hearts. It's not just that idols are things that we prostrate and we are totally vulnerable to. It's because we have prostrated ourselves. It's because we are made totally vulnerable to it. It's because we have given our heart, our soul, our allegiance to it. It exercises unbelievable amount of power and influence over us. When it says jump, we jump. When it says stop, we stop. When it says go, we go. It enslaves us. And think about this, an idol has no power, an idol has no life, idol can't save you, idol can't give you meaning, an idol can't do that which you long to, uh, look for it to do, which is to give you salvation. And yet, it's the very same thing that has captured our hearts, captured our imagination, captured our soul, so that we cannot help but do what it says. And it's got us on a leash. You're sitting there going, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't. And your idol says, you're looking at me going, you give me meaning. You give me significance. You make me you make me who I am. The idol simply goes, as long as you think that, I've got you. Can we go and look at some of these idols? Is that okay? We only have seven today. <laughs> Two ground rules as we go through these. Number one, please, as you're going through this, go, oh, he needs to hear this. Oh, oh she needs to hear this. That is her idol. Worse yet, don't go, that's you. <laughs> Ground rules. All right? So spouses, don't go, you ready? All right? <laughs> Friends, do not. Here we go. And this is going to take a little bit of courage, okay? Number one, by the way, the beautiful thing about this text, and you go, well, it doesn't say these things, Peter, in here. Look, here's the reason why we can identify these as Id- idols. Look, Paul says we worship and serve created things, meaning that idol is anything made in our image or made, that we make with our hands, with our hearts, with our souls. So there are just as many idols as there are created things or created beings. Okay? So here they are. Some of them are more concrete. Some of them are more abstract. And by the way, look, 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 listen, listen, listen. This is so important. This is, I, I, it took me years to just even get to the place of saying, I'm going to look at my face in the mirror, look at my life and go, God, I don't want this to rule over my life anymore. I don't. I don't. And I'm just going to pray that you guys would have enough courage as we go through these things to say, God, what is it? Number one, not any particular order of importance, romance. I was going to say, you know, do I need to, like, explain this? (laughs) I had to explain this. A church bunch of singles, here it is. Idol construct, romance for some of us. You know what this says? This says that you actually believe this lie that unless somebody cares about you, somebody loves you, you're a nobody. So unless you're in a relationship with someone or somebody, you don't have much of an identity or sense of worth. The idol construct of romance, if this is your idol in your life, is that you look to romance and relationships to fulfill you, to make you feel like you're Somebody. And the destructive thing about this, again, is that today, today, uh, have you guys, some of you guys might have seen this this week, YouTube, a guy posted his cell phone number and said, hey, anybody who just want to talk, I'm here for you, anybody lonely? First day, 5,000 people called this guy. By the end of the week, there were over 10,000 calls, 10,000 calls to, I think he looked like he was in his early 20s, not a psychologist 10,000 people. He was on CNN, was interviewed, so on and so forth. And there were a bunch of psychologists that basically said, We live in the loneliest generation time society ever. There are more singles today than ever in the history of the world. Ever. Part of that is because, you know, like 150 years ago, by the time you were 13, you were married, you know. But, (laughs) which is a good thing and a bad thing, I guess, you know. Um, But it's the loneliest generation ever. And here's what it's done it's made an idol and a god-odd romance and relationships. Why do we watch stupid bachelor, bachelorette? Why do we care about the romance and relationship, celebrities and stars? Who cares? Why do we care? The reason why we care and the reason why we long for it is because many times we look at that and go, that, I want that to be me. Because as long as I'm in relationship, I have somebody that cares about me. I'm okay. I am somebody. And when you don't, this is the reason why there are two of you going through the exact same things. And one of you, even though you're not dating, is, ah, you know, I'd like to be ma- I'd like to be married. i like to be in a relationship. And the other, you're mad. You're angry. There's an irrational hate almost towards the person of the opposite sex or your last boyfriend or girlfriend. Why? Because when this is your idol and it doesn't come through for you, it's that idol cursing you and saying, you're nothing. You're nobody. You're insignificant. Don't you see? You have nobody. And we believe it. We believe it. Is romance your God? Relationships your idol? Is it destroying your soul? Because it's completely blinded you. Because you put all your meaning and in life into it. It hasn't come through, and you're sitting there going, What does this mean? What does this mean? Secondly, what about work? What about work? Can work be a source of idol? Can work be a source of idolatry in some of us? Look, there's probably maybe very few of us today sitting here going, I take pride in the fact that I'm a slacker. (laughs) I love the fact that I am the laziest rat in our whole company. I want words for it. Look, I'm being sarcastic. Look, every single one of us, we want to do well in work. We want to do well. We want to perform well. But you know what? There's some of us. There's a drivenness to our work, drivenness to our job. Students, it's your grades. There's a drivenness to it that says, I will prove that I am somebody by what I do, by what I achieve, by what I accomplish. I will prove that I am somebody. It's not just being workaholic and overworking yourself. Unless somebody promotes you, unless somebody recognizes you, unless somebody says, hey, you're a good worker, you have literally said, what's the purpose of living? Here's a third one. Physical beauty. Ugh. Where do I go with this? Ugh. I did some research online about plastic surgery. In case you didn't know, our country sort of digs stuff like that, you know. Cosmetic surgery is booming in the United States. Surprise, surprise. Cosmetic surgery increased by 11% from last year to this year amongst women and guys. You ready for this? Plastic surgery for guys is increasing even more. 22% increase. Yeah, I'm just waiting for that day when guys will, you know, go, hey, what's up, Ronnie? Getting your work done lately? Hey, what's up? (laughs) Overall, Americans spent 9.4% billion dollars on plastic surgery last year alone 9.4 billion dollars on plastic surgery alone we are a culture obsessed with physical beauty we are a culture obsessed with an attitude that says unless i'm attractive unless i've got it together You know what I love about this, or, or, or hate about this? They give you advice, by the way. It's what they say. You ready? Advice number one, in case you're supplies to surgery, don't rush into anything. Here's the advice under it. Cosmetic surgery is unlikely to improve a relationship that is going nowhere. So if you are going through a life crisis, don't make any decisions about cosmetic surgery. Who is the genius that wrote this up, right? Sorry, okay. Second, this is so hypocritical. Don't be pressured by anybody. Gag me. Don't be pressured. We live and swim in a culture. Type up plastic surgery, Google plastic surgery. Do you know how many hits you get? And they say, don't be pressured. Third, be very clear about what you're hoping to achieve. I had a model say to me, a model who comes to our church, and she was so honest. You know what she said? She said, Pastor Peter, I went through a period where without my beauty, I was nothing. Without my looks, I was nobody. Do you know how powerfully honest that person is? What about you? And in case you're going, plastic surgery, whatever. how much time do you spend thinking about your hair and all my time about your clothes where you wear, what you wear where you shop, the latest trend you know what's powerful about Luke chapter 16, the passage about Lazarus and the rich and the rich man the gospel writer in Luke chapter in Luke chapter 16, the book of Luke, never mentions the name of the rich man, do you know why? he's literally saying, that's all he is he's just a rich man Are you sitting there today? Is that all you are? Attractive guy? Attractive girl? Do you have a sense of identity and a name outside of your physical appearance? You guys hanging in there okay? Okay, this one's going to hurt a little bit. Just a little bit. Ready? Next one. Idol of codependence. Oh, boy. There are those of you who can't function without feeling needed. There are those of you who stay in dysfunctional relationships because you will rather have them. You're afraid to tell truth. And so you have a bunch of people. And by the way, dysfunctional people have a radar for codependent people. Do you know that? Because healthy people, they're not going to go near because they try to go near. They're like, get the heck away from me. Stop being clingy. Codependent people are like, magnet, magnet, magnet. Come, come, come all, come ye all. (laughs) Needy people. Needy people, come all. Do you want to know if your idol construct is codependence? Ask your friends. Look around your friends. Who is drawn to you? Who needs you? And are you somebody who's afraid to speak truth? Because if you did, God forbid, they don't want to be friends with you. Oh, no, no. If they don't want to be friends with you, you can't have that. That will destroy your self-esteem. There are women in here, men as well. Your codependent idol has fooled you into thinking that you're really getting love when you're just getting sex. And you'll stay in a sexual relationship because you can't bear the thought of that person going, I don't need you anymore. Christians are infamous for having this as an idol. Because you fool yourself into thinking, I'm doing the Lord's work. No, you're not. Fifth, certainty or self-control. You're going, that's not me. Okay, are you single? Have you said this? I will not get married no matter what until I am absolutely positively sure that he's it or she's it. How the heck are you? Positively, absolutely, will you ever be sure? And yet, some of us: I will never take risk. I will not go there. I won't do that until I am absolutely. Do you know what? There's only one certainty in life. There's only one certainty in life, and that is God loves you, infinitely, unconditionally. It'll never change. And as a Christian, when you say, but you know what? Jesus loves me. That's great. God loves me. That's great. But I will not unless I am. You're saying my certainty is more important than God. My certainty is more important than my, is certainty control your idol, your God. <sighs> Next one, Family. This idolatry has many variations, but parents, can I speak to you? Do you know parents, we make our children our idols? We make their happiness. We make their life goals. We make their fulfillment our idol. And so when they go astray, when they don't become the person that we want them to become, when they don't quite make it, we get devastated. We get dis- the beyond disappointment. We feel like our life is meaningless because we have put all of our eggs in that basket of saying, Our children, our children. And there are children out there going, You're talking about my parents. That's them. That's how I'm so screwed up. That's not the way I am. That was them. So you know what? This is how screwed up this is. Here's the other variation. If that's how your parents were, they idolized you, do you know what you're idolizing? Your parents. Your idol construct is your parents' approval of you. Your idol construct is your parents' expectations. Your idol construct is your parents being proud of you. And the thought of disappointing them, the thought of letting them down, it just, third variation real quick some of us have and some of us will make marriage our idol listen let me just put it very plainly if you think that your marriage is going to solve all your problems if you think that being married is going to take care of loneliness take care of even the physical desire and the love if you think that being married is all that and you have elevated marriage to an idol you will destroy your marriage when you get married because your spouse can never, ever, underline, never, ever fulfill your expectations because they're not God. Are you single? When you get involved in a relationship, first thing, first thing, I don't care how you find out, you could just directly ask him, are you going to make me God? <laughs> wait, wait, let me clear that. Let, let me actually, let me, let me clarify what I mean by that. Let me clarify what I mean by that. Actually, you say that if they go, yes, I will, (laughs) then you need to go get the heck out, right? I don't know. I don't know how you find out, but listen, I don't know how you find out, but you need to find out if that marriage and that relationship will be their God, will be their idol. Because listen, 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 your heart and your soul was never built to find meaning, significance, and even love in something else. And when you place that burden on your spouse or your girlfriend, future boyfriend, when you place that burden, it will destroy them and it will destroy your marriage. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe what you can do is just kind of tape record this portion and go, before we start dating, let me play something for you. <laughs> is marriage your God? You know, they're hearing my voice. <laughs> now, who the heck is that freak? Okay, anyway. And lastly, lastly, look, look, look. We're almost done here, you guys. Lastly is money. Now, I know for most of you, you're like, money, <laughs> I got none. Next, you know. It's <laughs> Let me speak to those of you here, very successful men and women, making lots of money. Is money your security? Is that how you find security in an uncertain world? Are you saying to yourself, as long as I have that, what about spending it? Does your life constantly revolve around the latest toy, the latest underline, whatever it is? As long as I have that. What is your God? What is your idol? You know what I realize, you guys? And this is, a, and I'm going to, please pay attention because as I finish here, this is so important, so critical. I don't want you to misunderstand or not understand. This is so important. You know what I'm realizing? Look, the reason why we struggle with idolatry after we become a Christian is because, like I said, before Christian, your idol. I mean, you're already serving it. You're already giving your life to it. You're already doing all, and so it's not gonna bother you. It's not gonna fight nothing. But when you become a Christian and you try and make God your ultimate, God your non-negotiable, God your center, do you know what happens? That idol in your life will wreak havoc. It will compete. It will rival. It will do whatever it can to. Do you know? This has given me an entire new insight on suffering and idol. And suffering and trials and idolatry here's what I mean why is it that after you become a Christian and you go through hard times, suffering and trials and you're going, oh, those intense inner struggles, do you know what I'm realizing? Suffering and trials, when I have people come into my office and they've just been broken up or they've been dumped or they've whatever, they're like, my life is this wrecked. I don't know what I'm going to do And up here. I'm just, it's so painful. They don't get the job. They don't get into the school. They don't get the grades. They don't get the relations. They don't, there's marriage they're struggling. And they're just saying, I don't want to live. And do you know what I'm realizing? I look at them. Suffering and trials is the way that your idols are dying. Suffering and trials is the way that your idols are dying inside your soul Suffering and trials what is suffering? What is trials? It's when the thing that we long the thing that we want the thing that we think will give meaning is being blocked from us having it. We're saying my life is meaningless It does, it's just not worth living anymore and when that thing is blocked and your insides are churning It's because your idols are Your idols are dying. And you know what God says? When you shake your fist, you're like, God's going, why are you shaking your fist at me? Your idol will die. Your idol will come through. Your idol can't give you meaning. And because it's not delivering on its promises, you're mad, you're angry. Your idols are dying. Don't look at your idols. Look up to me. Are you listening? Are you listening? If you are going through a time today, this week, this month, this season, where you're going, I am struggling, ask yourself, what idol is dying? What is it that's dying? Are you fighting it with all your might? I will not let this idol die. I will not. Are you you saying, God, I'm done. I'm done. Let me end with this. Do you know why God says, do not have any other gods before me? When you look at Exodus passage at the end, do you you catch what I, verse 5? He says, it's because I am a jealous God. Do you know what that means? <laughs> God says, do not have any other eyes before It's not because God is a scary egomaniac. Worship me. you. Uh, it's not because of that. It's not because God is an angry wrathful God. It's not because of that. God says, because I'm a jealous guy. What does that mean? It means that just as I love my wife, I love her, I love her with a passion. And if she were to love another lover, she were to love another thing, and that love and that thing is abusing her. It's not coming through. It's doing all kinds, wreaking havoc, because it doesn't give meaning. It doesn't give significance. My passion and my love for my wife will say, no more. I won't let you be hurt that way. I won't let you be destroyed that way. I will not let you be ripped to shreds that way. I love you too much to see it. God looks at you and says, do you realize how much I love you? I am your old and all. I am the only one that can be your meaning and significance. And that idol, that lover is destroying your soul. Oh God, got to just stand by and say, well, you're going to. God says no. 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 Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Bow your heads with. In a moment, we are going to enter into a time of communion. But in the quietness of our hearts, the quietness of our soul, my brother, my sister in Christ, friend, I implore you, I beg you, I, I, right from where you're sitting today, right from where you're sitting today, Will you search your heart, search your soul? And if you have no energy to do that this morning, pray the prayer of David, God, search my soul, search my inmost being. God, what is it besides you? The idol construct of my life. There is no more important subject and topic in the Christian life than it begins here and it ends here. Take a couple minutes. Allow God, the Holy Spirit, to come and speak truth. Be afraid. Today's communion has a far reaching consequences and, and importance. It's not just as we take the bread and, 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 and dip it in the cup. It's more than just saying, I partake of your death and your life for me. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. But today, especially, church, as you come forward, as you take that bread, you're saying, God, you are my bread of life. You fill me. You fill and quench my hunger. It's more than just about you being in my life to be my Savior. And as you dip it in the cup... You're saying, God, you are the one that quenches my thirst. You are the ultimate thirst quencher. There is none other besides you. Pray that they will be true in my life. Pray that they will be true in my life. The night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body broken for you. Whenever you take it, do it in remembrance of me. Knowing that I not only have paid the penalty for your sins, but I am the one that who fills your hunger. The same way he took the cup and when he poured it, he said, This cup is a new covenant. New covenant of my blood that's been shed on your behalf to give you life, to cleanse you, to purify your sins. But as we take it today, we also remember it's to quench our eternal everlasting thirst. Church today, what we're going to do is uh, whenever you're ready and you sit there as long as you need to, allow the Spirit of God to do some soul-searching. When you're ready, come forward. And you might not be able to today say, God, yes, you are my bread. Yes, you are my wine. Yes, Lord. You might be just saying, God, I want this to be true. God invites you as well. Communion service, please come forward. Whenever you're ready, come forward. God has been big and great and mighty and majestic in your life. ever we give a clap offering to your God and worship Him today. Hallelujah Lord. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. Everybody, can you guys look up here for a second? Look, I know that some of you will walk out of here and you feel like your heart's been torn open. You're going, oh, now what? I'm going to answer that question, try to, next Sunday. I get to sit here this week and as you pray, continue to ask God, God, May the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit go with you. As you go forward, God walks behind you and beside you, and he leads you. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. The mighty one is with you. As we continue this journey, I ask for your courage. I will pray for you. You pray for me. Have a great week, you guys, and we'll see you back here next Sunday. Take care.